Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, everybody. I hope you are doing absolutely fabulous. And if you're not, again, hopefully your day gets better. Of course, this is Holden back here again with The Sober Unicorn, joined by... A fellow Texan, uh, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing really well. How's it going? Good, good. I'm super happy that you reached out to me to come on and were able to fit me into your schedule. Oh my God, of course. So why don't you tell everybody, of course, your name is Brandon. So before we dive in, why don't you tell everybody, um, of course, who you are, where you're from, and like what your drugs of choice were. And what was the last, what was Drugs of choice. Oh, drugs of, oh God how much time do we have um let's see okay so hey yeah my name is brandon um i'm like you said i'm originally from from texas dallas specifically uh but i live in los angeles now um and my docs were specifically alcohol um and prescription pills specifically um painkillers and benzos okay see i have no experience with with the painkiller side of things Oh, <laughs> let me tell you, you have you have missed out. No, I'm just. Oh my kidding. god! Well, I did like a, a Xanax when I was like 16. That was like the extent <laughs> of my opioid addiction. Oh, you're crazy! Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, you're sober now. Um, you, yeah. um, you were three years sober, of course. Um, I was, yeah. So while so before we get into the rest of the details after the three years. <laughs> kind of lead us up to like what was your addiction like what wanted you to get sober and how early sobriety was for you yeah so um so i guess i'll just kind of start from the beginning so i was um i was introduced to aa as a kid really because my mom was an aa so that was my first exposure to anything 12 step or anything you know anything like that and um and she, uh, she unfortunately lost her 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 life to this to this disease to this addiction, and so I had a resentment against twelve steps for a very very long time because I just thought it didn't work. It took my mom, blah blah blah. So as I entered into my own adulthood, you know, I was a goody two shoes and high. Didn't do anything. Um, I was uh, very focused on on what I had going on scholastically and and uh, also on my extracurricular activities and I um, uh, moved to New York and right after high school and uh, had my first drink and my first drugs. And I thought, what have I been missing out on? Like if I, if I had had this in high school, I would have been on top of the world because it just, it just took away uh, all insecurity, all fear, everything that I experienced for the, my first, the first 18 years of my life. So um, I, I was a blackout drinker from the beginning. There was no like couple drinks here. And then it is it slowly led up to, you know, blacking out. No, my very first time I drank, I completely blacked out and threw up everywhere and was not the, uh, was, was not the, the, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, you the weren't the to the party. Well, I, a, a little bit so, but I just remember thinking like, I cannot wait to do this again. And so I, that's what I did. Um, up until I was 22, I 
drank or used drugs pretty much every day. Um, I eventually, I was living with a, I was living with a boyfriend that I had kind of taken hostage and um, I was living there rent free. I wasn't working. I, all I did all day was drink and drug and go out at night. You know, I would time it perfectly where I would start drinking in the morning. And then by the time he came home from work, I would have scheduled a friend to pick me up so we could go out to the bars that night. And so we never, I mean, I literally don't think my, my ex and I crossed paths for more than 30 minutes at a time. Cause I didn't want him to catch on, you know? And so it eventually got so bad to where I, it was just, it, it was on there was no hiding it anymore. Um, I was drunk all the time. My ex was finding bottles hidden around the apartment, pill bottles hidden around the apartment. And he just, he gave me an ultimatum at, at 22, at the end of, uh, of, of that year that I either get some help or I, or it, it was over. And uh, as much as I want to say in hindsight that I did it because I loved him, I did it because I didn't want to lose my apartment. Um, I would, I didn't know, I honestly, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I went into treatment for the first time at 22 and what happened from there was just, and let me also say I'm now 33. So it was a lot of years of going into treatment, coming out, staying sober for a week or two, and then relapsing. Of course, at the time I didn't call it relapsing. I just thought, you know, this is, this is just, you know, I, I clean up my act for a couple of weeks and then I'll, I'll resume what I was doing. So it was a lot of back and forth. And then finally, um, it got to be so unmanageable and so catastrophic that I was facing homelessness. I didn't have a job. I had no money left in the bank. I was newly diagnosed with HIV. And I, in 2017, just completely surrendered you know and I didn't have I didn't have anywhere else to turn it was when they say like 12 steps is the last house on the block it is the last house on the block but also I think even though it's like the last house on the block it is that window it's like what is when one door closes the other one opens or whatever mm -hmm. and it's like even though we feel it's like the last house that's the house that gives us back everything that we've lost oh 100 percent you know people I hear people say all the time, oh, I just, you know, I, I wanted to get my life back. I didn't have a life. I had no life to speak of. My life had become me in my secluded in my bedroom with the, with the window, with the curtains uh, closed, drinking in the dark from the time I woke up in the morning until I blacked out. And that was every, all day, every day. And I think it's, it, there's a major difference. As you said, your ex kind of gave you the ultimatum. And mm -hmm. at, at that time, I would call you a hobosexual. Is there... <laughs> <laughs> what? Listen, call it what it is. Yeah. Um, it's it's the thing is, is like you were kind of forced into treatment at the time. And I think that's why you spent so many years kind of bouncing back and forth between a week sober, going back out a week sober. And now that, I mean, that time, you finally, I think, chose yourself. I mean, even though life was unmanageable, you saw it as the last house, is that you finally chose to go on this journey yourself without an ultimatum without anything 
So once you went into the rooms and a 12 step fellowship, like how did things, how hard were things at the beginning for anybody listening that um, may have to go through withdrawals and how did things mm. progress? Yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah. Withdrawal is no joke. I mean, it is, at, at the amount that I was drinking and the amount of drugs I was doing, I was simultaneously going through alcohol withdrawal and opiate withdrawal at the same time. And it was, it was horrendous. I felt, I felt like I was going to die. No amount of sedatives that the hospital gave me could calm me down enough to feel even a little bit of relief. Um, and I was just, I was just so scared. I just remember kept, I just kept thinking, Will I ever feel normal again? Will I ever feel normal again? Um, the good news is for those who are listening who may be wondering the same thing is you do, your, your chemistry does eventually align. But I mean, when I went into that first meeting, my God, I don't know what was said. I didn't know where I was. I mean, I just was a complete, I, I was probably shaking in my seat, you know, but I'll, I'll always have this memory of, um, of this of this gentleman who uh, eventually became a very a very close friend and it was my very first meeting I ray I, ha I had the wherewithal to raise my hand in the in the meeting as as a newcomer within their first twenty four hours and I just remember this gentleman came up to me and he gave he he asked me he was he was like can I give you a hug and I said sure. And he gave me this hug and he held me and he said, you never have to feel like this again. And I, all resentment that I had toward 12 step, all um, ill feelings or preconceived notions that I had just kind of drifted away at that point. Um, now it wasn't all, you know, I get so jealous of these newcomers who are like, oh my God, I was on the pink cloud for 60 days or 90 days or six months or mine lasted my entire first year. Never once when I have gotten sober has I've, have I experienced a pink cloud. It has been doom and gloom. <laughs> and um, just, it has not been, I have not been a vision for you whatsoever. Like, Which is funny because that I, I rode the pink cloud for a hot minute i would say for a good like, four months and then that pink cloud came fucking crashing down damn and the, yeah. the moment i hit that pink cloud though i was like fuck meditation fuck higher power like i yeah. got this damn thing oh and yeah it came crashing and then like two months later is when like loss of job happened and mm -hmm. other things happened um which y'all have to go back to relapse episode here and all about that um so, but for, I, in some ways, I'm glad that I didn't experience this pink cloud because I had to do the work from the beginning. You know, like I, I had to have some kind of relief because I was going. Listen, I can stay clean or dry for a few days, but you know, left to my own devices, I'm going to become so uncomfortable in my own skin that the only I don't that alcohol and drugs are my solution. <laughs> they are not my problem at that point. They are my solution to stop feeling like complete and total shit. Exactly, exactly. And of course, being somebody fellow 12 stepper is what step do you feel was a huge turning point in your life? Oh, definitely the ninth step. 100%. Um, listen, I don't, I don't, 
I know there's a lot of fear for especially newcomers with the four step. I know I, I can write like nobody's business. I love getting getting a pen and a paper and, and going to town, but having to sit across from somebody who I have done wrong to and try to make it right. And not often, but sometimes not getting the greatest response back because of the damage I had done, nobody else I had done. Um, was terrifying, but so it felt like the first for the first time I had earned my seat in that meeting. Exactly for real. I mean, I know that I was the, the fourth step to me was fucking easy because I was like, <laughs> I was a bitch. Let me just I fuck this person <laughs> through them, and and then when it came time to like make the amends, I was like, oh god, here we go. And I I made the ones that I felt were the hardest first, mm, mm-hmm. and okay. for, and they were easy. Thank God, everybody yeah. perceived them pretty well, except one person that told me to go f myself. But I was like, right. you know what? Like I was willing, and that that's the most mm-hmm. important thing. Is I think going into recovery in general, whether you're a twelve stepper or not, like you have to be willing to do the work behind the program in order to live because i mean as you said there's a difference between being dry and clean and being recovery or recovered for me there is you know some people come in and they figure out they don't need 12 step or they don't need to to work steps or a program or anything else and they stay sober forever and that's great um i am i'm just not wired that way same here i will left to my own devices i will fuck shit up because oh. <laughs> we've seen it done if there's the one thing i'm good at it is fucking shit up you know exactly so of course after your three years mm-hmm. we we had a misstep yeah um um and i mean i'm very familiar with relapse as well unfortunately and it does happen to a lot of people so yeah. of course they always say you relapse before you relapse <laughs> yeah so kind of lead us up to that yeah so um like many people so I I know we're gonna get to this later but um so I work as a flight attendant and like many people's industries my industry was completely decimated by COVID and nobody was traveling um cities cities were shut down locked down uh, everything went virtual as far as, you know, uh, businesses and, and, and everything like that. And just, you know, there were flights that I was working in those early days that had two people on it, on a, on a plane that set 200, you know, like, um, so we had started hearing rumblings about a possible layoff or a furlough as we call it, um, in the like the summertime of 2020 at first it was absolutely we're not laying off anybody no furloughs it's not happening then summer rolled around and travel still hadn't picked up because now this was even worse than we had originally anticipated and then it was like well maybe there will have to be some and then it finally got to the point of we're gonna have to lay off about 5,000 of you um just just of the flight attendants and that's not even including, you know, the the employee, all the employees as a, as a whole. Um, so 
my yeah my emotional relapse really began in probably the summertime of 2020 i was living in a lot of fear i was 3 years into my sobriety i was i had really pulled back from my program from going to meetings from calling my sponsor from doing any sort of step work and that on top of this now impending layoff, I just didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I guess I should back up a little bit. Like, so I got sober in 2017 and I also became a flight attendant in 2017. So being a flight attendant in this career was all that I knew my entire sobriety up until that. And it just felt like it was being pulled away from me. And I just, I literally just had no idea what to do with myself. I didn't have any tools in my toolkit because I had stopped going to meetings and stopped, I had stopped being a participant in my recovery, really. And I, that is a huge, huge, huge cause of relapse, I feel. Because yeah. um, uh, similarly, my, me and my sponsor became like really good friends. And so mm-hmm. when he would try to hold me accountable of step work, I'd like, girl, I'll deal with that later. And mm. like, it just fully stopped and I mean I was uh, becoming a mortician and in school like I was I stopped drinking kind of like two semesters into school and I was like that's all I knew and so the moment that was right it it fully got pulled away from me um Mm -hmm. because of a termination (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but so being a flight attendant well okay so before we fully jump into that of course so you relapsed how long were you out for I was out for two years. Holy shit. Two terrible, horrible years. And in that, so I will say in that time, we got called back to work. Our furlough only ended up lasting about eight months for me, which we were thinking it was going to last a lot longer. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I would get sober when I had to go to work. And I was able to, I don't, I have, because I care about this career so much, I was able to pull it together enough to never show up to work drunk. I never drank on a layover or anything like that. But the second I was off, it was, you know, downing whatever I could find. I could get my well, hands and on. And if anybody doesn't know with like flight attendant work is like you can work like two or three days and then have like mm-hmm. two weeks off. Yeah. So it's like, the best like, job for an alcoholic. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so of course now that you now that you're back in Mm-hmm. um how how has your program looked I mean are you got like full speed on um doing steps yeah so it I was I just want to I want to say this is that now that I now that I know what relapse is and what it looks like I, I can tell you hands down that the pain that I felt in that relapse and the the agony, pay, uh, well, it, it's, it was so much harder than if I had just stayed and kept my sobriety and worked my way through that furlough. Because trying to get back, trying to get, try, First of all, just the humility that comes with having to walk back into a room and say, I have, you know, I'm, I'm in my first 24 hours, you know, it, just trying to muster that up is, 
nearly was nearly impossible for me but um so yeah whenever I got sober this time it was very clear that a lot needed to change there was I was I was obsessed with my job I was obsessed with overworking myself I didn't care about the fact that it took me away from meetings I didn't care about the fact that I was in town maybe (laughs) four days out of the month um all I cared about was was working and that paycheck and you know the great thing about my job for me at least is that I it never it has never really felt like work there are certain days certainly where you know you get a phone call at 4 a.m that you got to be at the airport in two hours and those days it feels like work but for the most part it just doesn't, it doesn't ever feel, it doesn't feel like work. I genuinely love what I do, but I was overworking in order to not have to think about all the other chaos that was going on in my life. So it's, my recovery today looks a thousand percent different than it did. Even the first time that I came in, it, um, I'm very, very heavily, I go to a meeting pretty much every day if I can. I um, am in constant contact with not only my sponsor, but other people that are in the program. Um, I am in the middle of step work. Um, you know, my recovery comes first, 100%. And on the days that it doesn't, I'm able to check myself most times, most times I'm able to check myself and say, Hey, this is, this is looking a little dangerous. Let's get back to basics. And that's what it became for me was just getting back to basics and not trying to complicate this shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. 100%. (laughs) But talking about if anybody has suffered relapse, uh, yes. Walking back into that room, like, the day that I had to walk back into that room to, to claim my uh, 24-hour trip again, a girl that I don't see very often literally was like, oh my god, is it your year coming up? Mm. And I was like, you fucking bitch. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the thing is, is, at the end of the day, it's our pride and ego that yeah. are 100% in the way of us doing walking back into that room because when you finally stand up and claim that you're 24 hours again, like there's not a single judgment look in that room. It's there's compassion from people that have gone through the same thing. And no, I mean, you were three years in and I was nine and a half months. And it's like, for a brief moment, we feel that all that time was lost. I was like, well, I just lost all this. And it's like, it's not lost because there's so many valuable lessons learned. Oh, totally. The thing is too, is like, there's so many people in still out there in expedition that can't get 24 hours they can't get three months and so we have to be grateful for the time we had and even though this is just a new chapter it's it's not the end of our journey it's just a new chapter so of course talking about workplaces Mm -hmm. and um, you're being a flight attendant which is very stressful work (laughs) Um, (laughs) it can be yeah for sure as a frequent flyer Mm -hmm. i um can't imagine being sober and being a flight attendant (laughs) really yeah i get that you know you're not the first person to say that um but you would be shocked at how many of us are in recovery um you know yeah it 
the thing with my career is that it is, if you allow it to be, it can be a very isolating career. Um, you're on the go all the time. You're never in one place for more than 24 hours. Um, you know, you, uh, you're in a hotel room by yourself, you know, once, once the flight you go, it's, it's like, it, it, it's like, um, I, who did, who told me this? Oh, um, I have a friend who's a, um, a well-known, uh, singer and she, we were just like, we were talking one day and she was like, I can't tell you how hard it is for me to sleep when I have a show that night and I'm in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people and then to go home or go back to my little hotel room by myself and have nobody around. And while, while I've never been in front of 10,000s of tens of thousands of people and quite frankly had no desire to, um, I, I, you you know, when you're working three flights a day, you've been around it probably 600 people at that point. You've been around a crew of four to five to six people. Um, and then you just go to this little hotel room at night and it's just you alone by yourself with your own thoughts in a city that you know nothing about. And it is, it can be very, very isolating, which I think is why drug and alcohol abuse is so, so rampant in the aviation industry. Well, a question to you um, is what kind of, there's going to be a backup to this is as a flight attendant, say if the flight does not have Wi-Fi, which of course isn't very often anymore. Right. Say if it doesn't have Wi-Fi for the guest, does it have it for the flight attendants? Um, so there, we... Okay, I'm going to reveal some secrets of the trade. <laughs> um, so there's Wi-Fi that like our, that the pilots, iPads and stuff are connected to. And the flight attendants, you know, we have our tablets that we do like drink orders and, you know, random things on. Um, so, and that's all on a separate Wi-Fi system. But like, do we have like Wi-Fi that we can access, you know, social media or anything like that not if it's down for the passengers it's down for us too okay see that was going to be my my next thing is you're talking about being isolated the fact mm -hmm. that you're, you're around all these people even though you're in front of their face you're not communicating with them as you would normally in like a normal basis and now you're on a plane for three six hours and yet you can't get on social media Mm -hmm. can't make a phone call to a friend which again makes you even feel more isolated especially yeah. in recovery you may have dealt with a bitch on a plane which i'm sure you do and oh, yes. when you have that 10 the 10th step moment where you're like shit i need to call my sponsor I need to like bring myself down you can't do that because mm -mm. you have no contact nope uh yeah it is it is a practice in patience <laughs> and uh it's also a practice in you know i hate i hate having to do a 10th step i don't like to make amends in the moment so but it is for me it's been a really big practice in thinking before i speak because if it is what i'm about to say going to cause me to have to do a 10th step is it going to get me up in a frenzy here at uh 
40,000 feet in the air and I have no body to turn to except me and my higher power, which is, is great, but sometimes you just need that extra feedback from another alcoholic. So yeah, it can be, it can be tricky. I mean, have you ever had to 10 step, like literally say kind of pop off on a uh, flight person or a guest or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. and then have to go back and be like, oh, I apologize. Oh, all the time. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, um, there, no, not all the time. I'm being, I'm being a little facetious, but um, yeah, no, there are certainly, there's certainly been instances where, um you know i've i've been talked down to or you know somebody's yelled at me because they're missing their connection or this you know there's a million different scenarios and all you can do in that moment that i've learned to keep my serenity is just say ma'am sir whatever you know i i'm doing the best that i can if that's not if that's not good enough for you, then I'm happy to provide you with the 800 customer service number. And that's the response I give. And that's the response that's worked for me. And there have certainly been times where I've, you know, I have given it right back to them and sometimes deservedly so. But the question then becomes, does it sit well with me? Like, and that's really where sometimes the tent, the tent step is, um, could be tricky for me. I don't know if tricky is the right, the right word, but, um, you know, I, I have often gone about my day and offended people and not realize that I offended anybody. And because it set well with me, I was fine, but it's very obvious that I need to do a 10 step whenever there's something in my spirit that just doesn't feel right. And, so yes, I don't think, I don't know if I answered your question, but I have, I have definitely made an amends and uh, tried to keep my side of the street clean. Now, so my coworkers are pretty cool. Every now and then there's a bad apple, but, uh, but certainly with passengers, you know, everyone's stressed. Traveling, traveling is not the luxury item it used to be anymore. You know, we're all crammed in there like sardines. Oh my God. That's for, and I'm a big girl and <laughs> like, I've legit, okay, this is off topic. But um, I was on a flight, I believe I was from Canada to Rome. And hmm. the woman next to me called the flight attendant over and literally said, he's big. I don't have any space. Can I be moved? Uh, and like, uh, I, her, I felt embarrassment for her husband because he was a yeah. larger set man too. Sure. Yeah. And then um, what's funny, I was with my ex at the time. And so he leaned over and he goes, bye, bitch. <laughs> They moved her. It was great because then I had a free seat and I ended up being a bitch to the husband. I just grabbed all my shit and threw it in her seat. Um, (laughs) But so... Aren't people fun? People are so much fun. People are lovely. Um, So coming... well, And that's why nowadays I upgrade my seats to bigger seats. So like I can be comfortable so can everybody else. Um, So what tools I feel so high stress environment. Okay. Um what is your best tool um, that you use to make sure you don't walk off that plane when it's landed and Mm -hmm. stop by a bar? I make sure I know of a meeting in every city I go to. 
Um, I do a lot of repeat cities, so it's not always the hardest task. You know, I do a lot of Miami, I do a lot of New York, I do a lot of, you know, this or that. So there's a lot of repeats, but you know, if I'm going to somewhere new, I make sure that I have a, I have a meeting lined up. And if I can't find a meeting that I that works with my time, cause you know, our, our schedules can be kind of crazy sometimes. I at least make sure, I mean, it, there's no problem finding a zoom meeting these days. You know, I've, I've been to zoom meetings in New York. I've been to zoom meetings in Rome. I've been to zoom meetings in London. Like, you know, I, that's the cool thing right now is like we can literally go to Zoom meetings all over the world. But there is something to be said for being in person and the 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 energy you get from that and the healing in my case that you get from that. Um, that I do try to make sure no matter where I go, and this is just me because this because 12 step has worked for me. I don't mean to be like shoving this down anybody's throat, but I just try to make sure that I've always got a meeting to go to. And I also make sure that my sponsor knows where I am and what I'm doing and that I talk to him at least once a day. I mean, again, I, I've said this in so many episodes is the fellowship I feel is key, whether you're 12 step or not having a fellow alcoholic or somebody in recovery that you can speak to is speaks volumes. I mean, sponsor or no sponsor. It's like you, you go to, you get into a situation, alcoholics, man, let me tell you, my, my my friends that were drinking, are still, they're still drinking. Um, Mm -hmm. that I could call them. I could text them. And these bitches, man, they don't pick up. They'll text me three or four hours later when they're sober at work. Sure. Alcoholics, they could be traveling. They could be at work, in a meeting, family reunion. Let me tell you, they will pick up their fucking phone or they'll immediately text you like, hey, you good? What's up? You need to talk. Like, they they are super communicative, if that's a word. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not lying. I have literally picked up phone calls from other addicts and alcoholics 40,000 feet up in the air connected to the Wi-Fi. And being like, I'm at work right now. Are, are you going to drink? And they're like, I don't think so. I just needed to hear somebody's voice. And I'm like, I love you. I'll call you as soon as I land. <laughs> and exactly. that's the extent. So talking about uh, workplaces too, I, of course, I have, as many listeners know, I was in the funeral business mm-hmm. and the fellowship. Like the funeral business is like 70% of substance abuse. And it's primarily mm-hmm. cocaine, like heroin, pills, it's more of the harder drugs like funeral directors are very known for uh, alcoholism and um, embalmers which is what I was going for um, because of what we see on the daily basis um, mm. is, is more of the um, opioids more of the harder stuff mm. like you have to make sure your workplace is safe for you yeah. because one instance or one case or one customer yelling at you and just degrading you as a person because Many people on flights feel fucking entitled. Yeah. Because <laughs> they mm-hmm. bought a $400 plane ticket. Um, and it could send you spiraling. You could be having a bad day already, maybe something personal. And then you have to go into work and deal with this. And it could send you to drink. So the thing is, is like, make sure you're surrounding yourself, even in a workplace with people that are supporting you. That if you are having a bad situation, you can actually even lean on your coworkers. Yeah, um, you know, 
it's very easy to drink in my industry because people take, you know, those little mini bottles of alcohol off the plane all the time and have themselves a little private party in their hotel room later that night. And um, I guess what keeps, what has kept me from doing that, being around so much alcohol is that I, I wish I had some like incredible spiritual thing to share, but really it's just been a, I take my work very seriously. You know, I know for, for this alcoholic, if I take some vodka off the plane and, and, and throw myself, uh, you know, a party that night at the holiday inn, um, I, I'm not going to show up for work the next day. I'm, I, I'm not going to, it's just my, when, when I start putting substances into my body, I go and go and go until an outside force stops me. And, yeah, and, and like two or three mini bottles will definitely not be enough. Hell no. Are you kidding me? Because then you're, that's, that is the warm up, And then I'm going to go to Walgreens down the street and pick up, you know, another bottle of whatever. And then it's just going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep through my alarm. I'm going to, so be, I guess being able to play the tape through and knowing how that would end. Um, and listen, it happens more often than you would think. Like, I, I mean, it's like I said, it's a, alcohol uh, alcoholism is very very prevalent in uh, where i work it's like no wonder all those flights were canceled recently because uh, they were just <laughs> too damn hungover to come to work <laughs> listen i'm not writing out anybody but you're not far from wrong <laughs> so before we wrap up the episode is yeah. there anything that you haven't said that you would like to say hmm God, I feel like this is when somebody asks you to give like a little known fact about yourself and you have no idea what like or like, like, or like freaking a, a job like interview your talent. What, and why like, should we give you this job? <laughs> oh, it's the worst. That is the worst. Um something that I haven't said. I the I I, I did touch on it before, but I just want to bring home that if you're an alcoholic to our degree to uh that it is so much easier to work through your shit sober than it is to pick up your substance of choice again and then have that all waiting for you on the other side if if you make it to the other side because as we all know this is a fatal disease and sometimes we don't get a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. And if I, you know, if I could go back and tell, you know, 2020 Brandon, anything right before he picked up that drink is like, you know, dude, just, just try not to drink for today. And if tomorrow you wake up and you still feel the same, okay, then do what you need to do. But for right now, in this highly emotional moment that you're having, where you feel like your world is falling apart around you, just don't drink for this moment. Because I promise you, it'll be easier. When, as you said, you end up coming back to work early. I mean, you drank, and, but your world didn't fall around you like you expected no! it to. 
honey, listen, I was getting that extra unemployment. Thank you, Biden. And <laughs> I was living the good life. I didn't have to go to work. Um, but I mean, I was miserable. I was drinking all the time. I was, I was absolutely miserable. All of that, all that money I could have been saving was just totally being thrown away on, on drugs and alcohol. And, and, um, you know, so just stay. That's, that's what I, that's what it comes down to for me is just stay. Yeah. I mean, that was, that, that was the main, it's like, here we, we, will you will be other people, whatever, uh, relapse. Cause they felt like the world was going to crumble. World didn't crumble, but you're like, fuck, I relapse now. Cause I thought yeah. it was. So, yeah. um, what would you tell the individual that is still out there struggling? Um, I would tell them that everything you are feeling right now, you are not alone and that there is a place for you and that life doesn't have to be this way. It, it, it really doesn't. Preach. <laughs> that is so true. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on today and taking your time and talking with us here at the Sober Unicorn. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Of course. You have a wonderful day, okay? All right, you too. All right, bye. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.